0: You're watching the Mondays with Midja podcast. Midja is founder and CEO of Legal Leadership, a company specializing in the leadership training and coaching of lawyers. Get set to jumpstart your week with a shot of mojo as Midja and her guests talk all things life, love and leadership.
1: Hey, it's Monday and I'm Midja and welcome to the podcast all about life, love and leadership. And we have taken the podcast on the road today so uh, it looks a little bit different. We are in the boardroom of Travis Schultz and Partners Law Firm and I'm speaking to Travis Schultz. So I want to welcome you to the podcast. Thanks for having me along, Mitch. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, Uh, Before we dive deep into leadership and the law and our profession and what's going on, I I firstly have to ask you uh, about your sense of style, Travis, because um, whenever I see you out and about, conferences, speaking at things, wherever, the outfit, the pants, the suits, I mean I think there goes a confident man – So tell me, where does that sense of style come from and that bit of playfulness, I guess?
0: I don't know that anyone's ever used the word style to describe my dress sense, Mitch, but (laughs) I'm flattered. Thank you. Good, (laughs) good. There's nothing to it. Um, I guess I stopped caring what other people think years ago and just thought, be yourself. And so I just be myself and just wear what I I like. It appeals to me. Um, If you want to wear loud pants, wear loud pants.
1: Love that. Love that. So... You know, we talk a little bit about life lessons uh, on the podcast as well. And so that, you know, phrase that you just used around not caring what anyone thinks of you. Um, Talk to me more about that, where Uh, that comes from. And and maybe I misquoted that, but tell me more
0: about that. I think it's more around being yourself, Midge. Um, Be true to who you are. um, And there's no shame. In being honest with the world about what you want to be and how you want to be, um, for me, it, it's just tokenism, I guess, that I choose to wear pants that some people find are, are a little more vibrant than normal for a lawyer. But uh, that's just part of me. Um, I, of course, I you know I care what people think about me. Everybody does. I just don't care if people go, nah, don't like your pants. <laughs> Pretty yeah, simple. <laughs> absolutely,
1: absolutely, with the pants. But, um, you know, when we look to leadership and we look at, I suppose, the principles around leadership and what makes a great leader and that integrity piece and what you stand for piece. Um, and talk to me about that because to kind of be on the podcast, I'm looking for leaders that people tell me good stuff about. Um, and so... For you, and I know you've managed and led lots of teams and lots of people, what makes a great leader?
0: Um, You could ask, uh, and thank you, I'm flattered by, again, what you say. Um, When it comes to leadership, um, I think at the end of the day um, and at its nub, um, leadership requires attitude rather than aptitude. Mm -hmm. It comes down to character um, rather than anything that you've learned, um, and you know there are all sorts of things that great leaders um, have in terms of their their courage, their character, their vision, their empathy, their trustworthiness. They're all really important, but at the end of the day, um, it's attitude over aptitude.
1: Mm-hmm. So around you know leadership skills, if you like, all those capabilities. You think those kind of things sometimes are, are things that people can learn. People can get better at some of those uh, more practical sides of 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 leading and leading teams. Yeah,
0: look, when it comes to leadership, I think it's fair to say um, that not everyone is born with the skills that are required. Some people find those innate skills um, of a leader to be ones that don't just come within their DNA and they need to work on them, Um, we can all learn them. Um, We can all round our edges out. Mm -hmm. Um, You'll never be something that you're not, or at least you shouldn't be. Uh, And not everyone wants to be or is destined to take on a role that involves um, leadership at a higher level. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But when it comes to leadership, I think um, you can learn the skills, but at the end of the day we need to realise that, somewhat ironically, the soft skills are actually hard and fast non-negotiables when it comes to leadership.
1: So talk to me about lawyers and leadership. So I'm a lawyer, you're a lawyer, we know lots of lawyers. Um, So the traits of being a great lawyer, um, how does that equate to some of the traits of leadership?
0: Uh, And I'm glad you raised this issue of lawyers and leadership because we as law firms have long made one terrible mistake in that we assume that our top-performing lawyers against KPIs and benchmarks are the ones we should be promoting to leadership roles. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, We have this assumption that just because so-and-so, Jane or Rebecca or whoever it might be, was our high-flying, high-performer, the the rainmaker that brings in the work, the go-getter or the person who blows away their budgets and contributes to revenue like nobody else, we assume that because they're high performers against those metrics that they're necessarily going to be in a position to lead and lead high performing teams. But that's just not the case. It's a fallacy. Um, The two do not necessarily go hand in hand. Just because Jane or Rebecca have the ability to bring in the work, they have the ability to do the work, they're efficient, they're effective, um, and they bring in lots of bucks doesn't mean that they're going to be able to relate to people doesn't mean they have the empathy that Mm -hmm. is required, doesn't mean that they're trusted. And they're really important characteristics of leaders in law firms. And uh, I'm not sure why we as a profession continue to look to promote those who have been high performers against the metrics that are valuable to the business of a law firm as opposed to those... Who earned the trust, respect, and confidence of a team?
1: Hmm. Yeah, two very different skill sets and different approaches. And um, and certainly, yeah, throughout my career, I've coached and mentored lots of lawyers who are like, "I don't want to be in this position. I don't know why I'm leading a team. I just wanted to practice law, and I loved practicing law. And now I feel like I'm not doing this people leadership very well." And and it, and it impacts their reputation. They don't feel great about themselves. They lose confidence. Um, and I've seen them, yeah, that, that reputation piece really go downward and uh, because of the position they've been put in.
0: And I think it's probably historical in some respects too because the profession has always had a partnership model uh, and in a partnership you're meant to have leverage beneath you in the classic pyramid and... So each partner is expected to supervise a certain number of senior associates who supervise a number of associates who look after and mentor a number of solicitors who look after X number of graduates and law clerks and, and so it goes down the chain. There's just an assumption that as you rise up this totem pole, so to speak, that necessarily you are learning somehow whether by osmosis or otherwise, the leadership skills that are required as you're reaching those more senior roles. And we don't teach it. Mm. The universities don't teach it. So where are these people getting these great leadership skills from that are going to enable them to ensure the long-term success of the organisation?
1: And so do you think, in so far, particularly like leading lawyers, do you think um, there is a component there around getting the runs on the board and 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 being able to have those results to be able to lead though do you think it kind of there is a there is a part there to play
0: absolutely um yeah. Well, yeah. lawyers don't get the opportunity to lead until they've got the runs on the board yeah. lawyers don't get promoted to that next rank um, in the organizational chart until they've performed a- against metrics um, and everyone accepts that they're ready to move up Um, you necessarily must have um, a threshold level of competence. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I say attitude over aptitude, there is a threshold level, in my view, Mm -hmm. um, of competence that you have to have to fulfil the the necessary requirements of of that role. But when it comes to leadership, um, I'd like to think that there's more at stake and there's more at at play um, than just metrics. Um, You know, leaders don't just have a vision. They inspire, they engage. They are the ones who navigate their group towards a common purpose. They unite them. Um, Just because someone necessarily builds lots or brings in lots doesn't mean they're inspiring their team, doesn't mean they're trusted, doesn't mean that they're demonstrating the empathy, that they are compassionate, that they are... Um, bringing out the best or nurturing others, empowering others. Um, Quite the contrary. Too often we find in law firms, and not just law firms, in organisations, Mm -hmm. that those who are very, very successful um, and high-performing against metrics are often those who squash everyone else along the way. Mm. Um, The internal terrorist who, who looks great on paper, but boy, what a path of destruction they leave. We've all seen them.
1: Yeah, the win-lose paradigm is: if in order for me to win, everyone around me must lose. And I've made it to the top, but with bloodshed behind but, them.
0: With what collateral damage? So yeah, yeah, I think you know I love this conversation, and for for law firms in particular, mm. um, because we haven't done it well. And uh, I'm not pretending for one moment that in law firms that I've managed um, and led in the past, we've always done it right either. We haven't. Mm -hmm. Um, but as a leader, you've just got to learn from your mistakes. Don't be afraid to make a mistake, just learn from it.
1: So what do you think, like, if we look at the next, I don't know, five, ten years in the legal profession in Australia and what it needs from a leadership perspective? Because obviously we see the attrition rates, we see, um, you know, burnout, we see the mental health statistics, we see all that coming through right now. We have, we have seen that for a number of years. What do our leaders need to do?
0: Well, of course, you know, the COVID-19 has brought with it a whole paradigm shift um, mm-hmm. and the number one skill of leaders in law firms these days um, must necessarily be our adaptability. Mm. Like never before have we had to scan the landscape, take a 360-degree view and pivot our course like never before. For me... Uh, Moving forwards, I think um, we need to be honest with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't pretend that in law, work-life balance is something that's necessarily easy in private practice, uh, particularly in a busy private practice. Um, I have taken the view that we need to move more towards what I term work-life synchronisation. The work just has to get done. Client needs need to be met, they need to be exceeded. The organisation has um, needs, any professional services firm does. Um, But we need to find ways for ourselves and our team to synchronise our work in a way that works with our life and what's important to us. We need to be prepared to make concessions and to adapt. Um, There will be times where there might be compromises. But as long as we're not selfish, as long as the way we do our work doesn't prevent others in our team from doing theirs, then I think we need to accept that we should allow people to be relatively flexible as long as the needs of the organisation are met. Now, of course, what's possible in a consumer law firm is very different to what is possible in a business law or a franchising or a family law. Um, or a tax law mm. you know if your clients are uh, corporate behemoths abroad it doesn't matter where you're doing the work um, yes. at all but if your client focused with in a consumer law area where you know your client wants to eyeball you wants mm. to have that empathy wants to shed a tear tell you a long story where that's necessary um, there are times um, when that might need to be person to person particularly at the outset, when you do ID checks and all of those sorts of things to so you know your client, it's just necessary that you're going to have to be client-facing from time to time. So every practice is going to be different, but I just think from a managerial and leadership perspective, we need to accept that our teams want something different to what you and I might have wanted when mm. we were coming through law and law school and, and starting our careers.
1: Yes, certainly, and I've been speaking to trying to talk to a lot of young lawyers or grads coming out um, because a lot of work that I do is mostly at you know partnership level or or senior leadership level Um, so I've been very keen lately to speak to people entering the profession to ask them what do you want from leaders and then asking what the leaders want from them to see if I can connect the two Um, and again you know from I think Like anything, I'm hearing from law students a a vast array of different things that they want. So, I some of our law students are ready um, to throw themselves in long hours; they're ready for it um, and have that real more corporate life um, vision uh, for themselves. Um, And others that I speak to want something completely different from their legal career still want to be involved in the law, but um, maybe not in that more traditional game plan of I'm going to go up the hierarchy and become a partner of big law.
0: But not everyone aspires to being a partner at big law. Absolutely um, not. And not everyone enters the law with the same vision um, Mm. or purpose. Um, It's just uh, a, a fact of life, I guess, for law firms. Uh, in the 21st century. But in terms of what the future holds, um, I will be surprised um, if in 10 years' time we don't move to a situation where uh, it's taken for granted that to the extent that it is possible, that um, a couple of days a week uh, worked remotely or from home, telecommuted, um, so to speak, um, it seems to have worked okay. With the pandemic, Um, overall, some people say they've been better working from home. Others have said it's been a disaster, particularly with homeschooling and just (laughs) trying to deal with all the competing (laughs) demands. Um, But the reality is, whether it works or it doesn't, we're in a time in the world where the workforce, um, it's a competitive environment to get the best Mm. talent. And if you want the best talent, you're going to have to work within their needs if you want them Mm. to remain in your organisation, to flourish there, to thrive and to want to remain a part of its strategic future. We're just going to have to adapt and accept that um, bums on seats um, is not necessarily um, as important as it may have been in the 1980s. Mm.
1: And what, uh, you know, because if we look at the stats of the profession now, obviously we're seeing a lot of micro firms, a lot of people... Uh, going into practice for themselves more so than we've ever seen. Talk to me about that trend and um, why you think we're seeing that.
0: I think there's more than one reason. Uh, it's always multifactorial. It's being said that there's been um, a breakaway uh, from the corporate model from um, this idea that you need to be part of a larger firm, that larger firms can't offer what everybody wants. Um, there's a bit of truth in that, but the reality is that 20 years ago there were an awful lot of people who were binding themselves to these large firms and treading down that you know, well-worn path towards partnership mm-hmm. and moving up the hierarchy um, who were marching to the tune of a syncopated drum that they didn't really enjoy. It wasn't them, but they were doing it because there was no alternative. Mm. But today the barriers to entry to start up a law firm, are a tenth, are a fifth Mm -hmm. of what they once were. No longer do you need bricks and mortar to hang your shingle on. No longer do you need to employ a range of staff for all of those other functions from administration to marketing to management to trust accounting to reception. You can walk into a serviced office in any building, in any major city in Australia, and they'll do all that for you for next to nothing. You need a laptop and a mobile phone. Maybe a dictaphone, but drag and dictate. (laughs) And for uh, a very, very trivial sum of money, you've got a law firm. Mm. Now, 20 years ago, that just wasn't possible. Mm -hmm. And so while everyone talks about the fact that there's this trend to break away from the values, the ethos and and the practices of the large law firms, um, I suspect that that, those cracks were appearing many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. It's just that the barriers to the alternative were too high now it's very easy to start up your own law firm.
1: What advice would you give to those lawyers? you've had obviously your own firm, so what advice do you give them starting out on their own?
0: If you're a lawyer who, whether you're a young lawyer or you're just a lawyer, who wants to start off on their own, um, number one would be to ensure that you really know what it is you're looking. Because there are some people who think, yep, I'm going to start up my own law firm because I want to do A, B or C. And the fact that A, B or C just turns out not really to be possible. And Mm -hmm. it's a financial disaster and it causes relationship strain because of the hours and the demands and the loss of income and all the rest of it. We've seen a lot of small practices fail and close. Um, Not every small practice succeeds. So number one would be... Know what your why is. And now I'm borrowing from Simon Sinek. I I hesitate to do that. I apologise. But understand what you're doing. What's your purpose? What's your mission? What's your strategy number two? You've got to have a strategy to to Mm. ensure that it can succeed. And three, um, you need to test your strategy and ensure that you have the capital required to get it off the ground and that you have tested the assumptions about where your work's going to come from Mm -hmm. um, to make sure it works. But, um, yeah, if you want to do it, follow your dreams. Just do it with your eyes open.
1: Yeah, absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. There
0: is a bigger issue, of course, for the profession as a whole, Mitch. Mm. Um, We've seen, in my time on the Queensland Law Society Council, I can remember seeing the numbers of principal practising certificates in the annual state of the profession reports or the biannual Say the Profession reports, and there was a staggering increase over a five-year period when you compared the numbers um, that more than doubled in terms of single principal practising certificate law firms in Queensland. It was a, just astonishing. But, of course, when you have all these micro firms that don't have the resources of an accounts team, of a trust account manager, of a, you know, a marketing team, of all, all those structures around you, mm-hmm. and you get busy, the first thing you stop doing is your paperwork, and your trust account, and right. your compliance stuff. Like, right? worry about that another day. I'm too busy. I've got this job over here. The yeah. Like a, that's most important, right? Yes. And, of course, now regulatory management and the cost of regulatory uh, compliance is increasing and increasing dramatically. And, most importantly, non-compliance um, mm-hmm. is a big problem because... You've got to expect that when you've got all of these micro-practices, a lot of them are just struggling. They're Mm -hmm. struggling. And through no fault of their own, they don't have the resources or the money to put on a trust account manager. And we're seeing more and more funds expended by um, the, the professional body, by the Queensland Law Society here in Queensland at least, in dealing with that. And it's going to be a bigger problem. The more micros we get, the more... Resources are going to have to go into assisting them, and then dealing with non-compliances. And what does it mean for the profession? Oh, look, it's going to mean that we're going to have to cover the cost of that. Mm. Um, it's going to have to be, you know, something that we budget for in practising certificate fees. It's a, it's an issue. No one wants to see any of our colleagues in small practices fail. It's just something we need to be mindful of.
1: Mm. And there might be an opportunity in that space for someone or a business out there that might be able to be in that space and help out. Who knows?
0: And there are some some, um, small practices already helping out um, Mm -hmm. in that space already. They're doing it rather Mm -hmm. cost-effectively. Hopefully the costs continue to come down where they provide all of those functions for small practices from trust accounting through to compliance Mm -hmm. regulatory and even doing your, your financials and your budgets. Um, Is becoming more cost-effective, but if you're a small micro practice, you know even ten fifteen thousand dollars a year to deal to all that stuff, which doesn't seem like a lot to a bigger firm. It's a lot to a small practitioner. Mm,
1: absolutely, absolutely. So interesting times ahead. Watch the space. Mm. Um, now, Travis, we have a section on the podcast um, known as leadership, so it's the shittiest thing that we've seen in leadership. It, it can also be confession time. So it can be for you in your leadership roles, you know, something you've done that's stayed with you that you've kind of thought, hmm, maybe wasn't the best decision or something you've done that in hindsight you're like, I'd do that differently if those circumstances came up again. Something for you that, S- springs to mind around
0: that. Oh, there's plenty of those, Midge. <laughs> um, you've got to always be prepared to talk about your mistakes, mm-hmm. own them, talk about them, learn from them, share them. Hopefully, others um, don't make the same mistake that way. But I can, you know, I could fill books full of the mistakes I've made over the years in, in my time managing law firms and in a leadership role. Um, you know, from times where ethical boundaries have been tested. I can remember as an article clerk, a second year article clerk. Seeing a partner in a firm charging a hotel account with what appeared to me to be a whole lot of private wine being charged to a client's account and and at the time thinking, I wonder, is that right? Is there something wrong there? And not having the guts and the courage to actually raise it with someone and say, hey, just check in, just want to make sure. Mm. Because, you know, as an article clerk, you just don't talk about something. You're not something, saying anything. You know? And, <laughs> you know, I look back and just wish I'd had the intestinal fortitude mm-hmm. to have the conviction and the courage of values to at least ask the question. I was concerned at the time, of course. I'm, you know, a young article clerk, um, shit scared that if I get this call wrong, um, I could be out my ass. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the risk you take. But you know, I didn't have the courage. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had my time again, I'd hope that I could man up a bit, so to speak. But that's just one. But there have been plenty of mistakes, um, you know, perhaps one that I hesitate to share, um, which to this day, it pains me. Um it was a, a girl I was close to who worked in the firm, a young lady I'd worked with for many years who'd had a range of, of illnesses and um, had some troubles. And, you know, there was a time, um, you know, more than a decade in, been away, had kids come back from maternity leave, returned to work, and things escalated. Um, in that, you know, she put on a lot of weight. She wasn't turning up to work on time. Performance dropped. She, um, you know, would disappear for periods during the day. I heard the girls talk that she'd been found asleep in the ladies' toilet, and all this coincided with the time that that um, bottles of wine started disappearing from the office store to keep them Mm -hmm. and it was only months later that the front page of the paper had a photograph and a heading of young mother um, caught drink driving kids to school four times the legal limit. It was only a couple of years later uh, that she died from organ failure and I cried but I can tell you I'm sure her two kids cried a lot more. Mm. If only as a leader Had seen all those signs and put the pieces of the puzzle together. If only I'd had the emotional intelligence to actually understand what was going on, um, not just to see it with the 2020 vision of hindsight, Mm -hmm. I could maybe, maybe, just maybe have helped to have changed the trajectory um, of that spiral. And Mm -hmm. you know, that's one of the big failings of mine um, as a leader, someone that. You're in, in the organisation, you're close to, and I, I didn't see it. I didn't mm-hmm. see it, Mitch.
1: And it's that, um, yeah, you know, that, that connection with our people in leadership roles. And do you sometimes think, as as leaders, particularly in corporate and and maybe in the law, that you know sometimes we we keep that distance a little bit um
0: yeah look i, I think don't know
1: that we we may not want to get close sometimes to to the people we work with or what is it about that
0: look we, as leaders we need to, to show compassion mm-hmm. um, i think we're using the term compassion these days rather than just empathy mm. um but there's, you know, a natural resistance, of course, as well, because you don't want to be seen as intruding on people's personal lives. You don't want to be crossing that boundary. It's a grey chasm, and at times, mm. you know, by asking too many questions and being too close, you risk that. And in this day and age, you know, we're all acutely aware of of the legislative boundaries that are put in place. Um, but you know, I think we need to show that we care. Um, we need to ask questions. We need to go through the process of compassionate conversations, which starts with empathetic listening. Um, You've just got to listen to understand. You've then got to communicate to ensure that you understand and have that deeper um, insight into the issue. And then third, you've got to demonstrate you've got to prove your compassion by repeating back to them and giving them a way forward. And I think in leading law firms, that's just an approach we need to take. Um, There's going to be risks if we asked the wrong question that we've gone too far in terms of going to a personal life but no I think we have an obligation to our team to understand what's going on in their world in case um, there's ways that we can adapt and adjust their role to make life better for them Mm. Um, if we want to retain the best people forever in our organisation have got to love the place and they've got to love their leadership and if you show enough interest and concern for them uh, if you Confide in them; um, they will trust in you. Mm.
1: And it's it's often a question I I get asked, and I know leaders kind of struggle with that. If I'm, if, you know, we're talking about like tough conversations, or, or you know, um, raising feedback, or we're seeing things and they're concerning us, and and being able to have that conversation with people. A lot of response I get back is, "But what about if I don't know what to do with what I get from mm. someone?" and I just feel like I don't want to open that can of worms or lots of leaders talk to me about that that hesitation of rather look I know there's an elephant in the room I'm going to put a tablecloth over it keep it in the corner and just cross my fingers and hope that the performance increases or, or the performance or the behavior changes or I'm just going to hope
0: We all know Mitch that <laughs> courageous conversations are what are required and <laughs> yes. that we all do it you know, sometimes <laughs> you just got to rip off that proverbial band-aid and deal with it. Um, Absolutely. It's not easy. I don't pretend it's easy and I don't mm. pretend that I haven't done it. Of course I've done it. We've all done it. <laughs> you know, you're busy usually. Oh, shit, i don't want to deal with that right now.
1: I know, I know. Um, you mentioned something there around um, just like having that loyalty or, or just connection with the leadership. And I know for you that community work for yourself – and also for your law firm is really important. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that, around the importance of that, that that connection piece with the firm and the community and purpose and all of that.
0: Look, That's just a philosophical thing. Um, I really believe that we as a professional services firm are in a privileged position to serve our community as part of a profession. I think we should be behaving as a professional services firm, not as a business. Um, I like to disavow any suggestion that my firm operates um, as a business we're not. And I think part of that is community engagement. We historically, as a profession, have done a lot of pro bono work. We've worked in our communities. We've given back. We've supported those who've supported us. And it's no different in 2022. Um, We are blessed to have the support of the community. I think we've an obligation to give back. Um, And so much of that just involves... Um, You know, working with community groups, charities, um, you know, professional services organisations, the not-for-profits, just give back where you can. Um, Believe in karma. I mean, if you just keep on giving and give a bit more, it will come back to you, Mitch, in spades. Just believe that. Mm -hmm. Um, And the community will be a better place for it. The good that you can do as a lawyer with your experience and your law degree, the good that you can achieve um, is enormous. Um, You know, don't have to always be paid for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know, it's disappointing. I think if we don't do a bit of it, um, it just you know it comes with the privilege of being a profession. I think
1: absolutely. And uh, as you said, just that you know, connecting back with with purpose and giving people you know, a law firm they can be proud of, being a part of that team, giving back and um, I know for me, doing the Dancing CEOs for Women's Legal Services, which is my first sort of foray into something of that magnitude, which is, is completely scary being on stage very shortly, um, in a sequin leotard, which will be interesting in <laughs> Brisbane City Hall. Um, but the, the giving back piece and and being able to... I don't know, like leverage this the, the the privilege that I have around just the connections I have and and who I know and and being able to bring those people together um, to raise some funds and to have a whole heap of fun along the way as well. It has been it's it's been the best, and I've had done lots in my career, but it has been the absolute best time for me. I've
0: loved it. But it's it's twofold. So you get to call upon the networks and the connections and the friendships that your professional service over the years has given and you're able to leverage off those for the sake of a very, very worthy charitable cause. But secondly, those around you, and not least of all, your staff are proud. Mm. Proud of you, proud of what you're doing and they're engaged by it and they want more and more to follow because they can see the positive difference that their leader is making in the wider community. Mm. Good on you, Mitch
1: thanks travis it's a feel good kind of podcast we're having today uh now before we wrap up i just want to make sure as if there was anything else that i haven't asked you that we haven't covered um around around leadership around the law around our profession where we're at where we're heading any other key messages that you wanted to finish up on
0: no, I think it's all it's all been said. We could go around in circles with leadership concepts for hours. That's I, right. I love it as much as you do.
1: We'd we need, we need a bottle of red, though, Trav. <laughs>
0: Pretty important one, <laughs> I suspect. But, no, thanks there for you having come. me along, Mitch, I've really in, enjoyed the conversation. I love these conversations and I think mm-hmm. they're important to have. Um, there's nothing wrong with a bit of self-reflection from time to time, learning from your own mistakes and hopefully those that others share with you as well.
1: Absolutely. Now, you know, before we leave, I have the fortune cookies without the cookies, of course. So a bit but of a...
0: That's the low-carbohydrate version of a, of a fortune cookie?
1: It absolutely is. <laughs> no calories here. Um, yeah, it's a bit of the woo-woo moment. Or well, you feel about a bit of woo-woo, Travis. But this, this is a message that maybe you need to hear or I don't know, that our listeners need to hear. So uh, today we have our boxes. We have our dream... And trust your crazy ideas. Which box do you want?
0: I'm going to dream today.
1: Oh, he's going to dream. All right, I'm going to open this up. Let's get the cards out and see today's message.
0: And the winner is?
1: There we go. Pop it open.
0: And the trouble is, if you don't risk anything, you risk Even more. Erica Jean. Very deep. Mm. There's there's a lot in that. A lot about leadership as well. You need to be prepared to extend yourself. Be prepared to make mistakes. Just admit to them and Mm. learn from them.
1: Absolutely. Now, uh, Travis, where can people connect with you, talk to you, find out more about you?
0: Always happy to chat about this sort of stuff, to share... Um, my failures over the year, um, I'm a senior counsellor for the Queensland Law Society as well, so any professional ethical issues, more than happy to chat as well in that capacity. can easily find me um, by email, travis.schultz at schultzlaw.com.au or my mobile 0419441977. Always happy to chat, always happy to share. Thanks again for having me along. Mitch.
1: Thanks, Travis. And that is a wrap on our podcast. you. Go out there and spread your magic this week. I'm Midja and thank God it's Monday.
0: We trust you enjoyed this episode of the Mondays with Midja podcast. Host Midja Fisher is a leadership expert, keynote speaker, coach and facilitator. To find out more about Midja, visit midja.com.au or follow her on Instagram, Midja Fisher. And make sure you subscribe, share and leave a review you. <smart noise>